real joy once more to welcome Dr. Woodbridge to the pulpit here. And I, if you were here last night, I'm yesterday morning, I'm sure you got a great blessing. It was a great blessing to my heart. And uh, I was saying to uh, Dr. Woodbridge that it's a wonderful thing that no matter how many times we hear the Word of God or teach the Word of God, or I imagine, Charlie, that you've taught Romans so many times, and I've taught books many times, and yet it's all so fresh and new, isn't it? Every time. It never gets stale, and there's always something new and fresh and wonderful. The old doctrines still all there, but little fresh things, you know, that just feed your soul. And if there's a man that can do that, it's Dr. Whitbridge. So, Charles, Lord bless you tonight. Thank you. May we open our Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is where we shall start tonight. And before I start to teach, I have one or two introductory announcements. Number one, a week of Bible conference goes by very quickly indeed. How do I know this? This is all Doreen and I do from one place to another, and a week goes by very quickly. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and that's it. How many of you people were here this morning when Doreen spoke? May I see your hands? Wonderful, and you came out again tonight. A little boy came up to me not long ago, and he said, Dr. Woodbridge, I like to hear you teach the Bible but I'd rather hear your wife <laughs> said she tells more stories. <laughs> so I said to the little boy, that's right. If you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> we had a great time going out as a team. And I was thinking, will you look at verse 15 for just a moment? Doreen, this might be a wonderful text for us in September, we just shipped the word from Rome to Melbourne, Australia, and we're in business. Verse 15, so as much as in us is, we are ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Australia. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I feel like a young man in his 20s. You know why? I left Africa way back in 1934, and from then on I have been urging young people who love the Savior to go to the ends of the earth. That's how many years? From 34 until now? About 34 years. Now all of a sudden our children are grown and we are under appointment, not by any congregation, but under the Lord's appointment, and we are thrilled. Amen. Maybe there's somebody here tonight who should be praising the Lord that you have an opportunity to serve him to the uttermost part of the earth. Well, will you please look at verse 16, and before I read it, I'll simply remind you that these messages on Romans are in print. You knew that already. You slip off the little yellow thing, it fits into the loose leaf notebook, and you are soon teaching 
10 lessons on Romans, not only on Romans, but on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right through the whole Bible. This took more than 30 years. These will be available for those who want to study and teach. I had a very interesting experience three quarters of an hour ago. On Sunday, I mentioned the fact that Martin Luther had to teach in a brand new university, Wittenberg, new, uh, in Saxony, in Germany. He was supposed to teach Inter Alia, the book of Romans. He was an Augustinian monk. And I didn't know that it is possible now for some people to get back to Wittenberg and look the place over. It's in the Russian zone. I got a letter from John, my son, who is studying for the ministry. And I haven't even told Doreen this yet. She hadn't seen the letter, we just got it. He has just returned from Wittenberg. There it was in Wittenberg on October the 31st, 1517, when this Augustinian monk walked down the cobblestone streets. I don't know that cobblestone. I've been there. And he nailed his 95 theses on the door of the castle church there in Wittenberg. 95 theses. What was he doing in 1517? He was challenging to debate anybody who would debate him on the following subject. The misuse of the sacrament of penance with particular emphasis upon indulgences. I wish I had one hour but I happen to be teaching Romans. What is it that got Martin Luther all steamed up? One thing was he had been teaching Romans. Now let's see why, as we move through this, let's see why Martin Luther, steeped in the traditions of the Romish church, teaching Romans, got so excited that he nailed those 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. Shall we find out during the week? 116, please. I'm reading it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. How many people are here tonight who were not here last night? May I see your hands, please? We are very pleased to welcome you. That means we must have a review. If this were a young people's conference, the next question would be, how many were here last night and are not here tonight? <laughs> You'd be surprised how many hands would go up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We are a very agreeable people in the United <laughs> States. Moreover, we don't listen. By the way, do you mind if I have a little chat with your pastor? Since I was here 25 months ago, I have learned something that I want to share, and I want you all to know this. Don't be surprised, don't be surprised when the Apostle Paul repeats, repeats, repeats over and over again. Don't be surprised when this Bible teacher repeats and repeats and repeats, and when your pastor repeats, don't be surprised. I'm now going to tell you why. I was ordained to the Presbyterian ministry 41 years ago this month. 
I was very naive in those days of the first Presbyterian church of Flushing, Long Island, where I was a pastor. I was very naive. I was in my 20s. I thought that after I spent 12 hours preparing a sermon, number one, the people would listen. Number two, they would understand. Number three, they'd retain. Number four, they'd be able to reproduce it. This is what I thought. I was naive. Ten years went by. I began to reduce my percentage. I was lucky if 70% were with me. Another 10 years went by. I was more realistic, 40%. And I'm lucky. Pastor, I now know the facts of life. <laughs> I am now going to tell you. I have learned this the hard way. 7% in an average audience. Obviously, this is not an average audience. <laughs> but if it were an average audience, as a contrary to fact subjunctive, but if it were, I would have to say it 14 times. Hey, so bear that in mind. Now, a quick review, and if you've heard it before, don't be surprised. Here's our review. The theme of Romans is the gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. Then he goes on to outline for us the basic human problem. You cannot understand the glory of the gospel of the grace of God unless you know the basic human predicament. It is this. Whether man likes it or not is irrelevant. God is 100% righteous. Over against that man by nature is unrighteous. And between the two there is a great gulf fixed. Will you please use your imagination? Can you imagine a precipitous chasm? On one side the righteousness of God. On the other side the unrighteousness of man. Now a deep gulf or an abyss. How deep is that gulf, really? I'm going to give you four words. I want you to see them in Romans and mark them, and you'll discover how deep that chasm is. Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 9? Chapter 3, verse 9, the very last word. The last word of chapter 3, verse 9. They are all under sin. That is a word which divides man from God. Sin. Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 19, right at the end. Chapter 3, verse 19. All the world may become guilty. There's your second word. Guilt. Sin. Chapter 3, verse 9. Guilt. Chapter 3, verse 19. Now will you please turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2, with your pencil in your hand. But we are sure that the judgment of God, underline please the word judgment, is according to truth against them which commit such things. Sin, 3, 9. Guilt, 3, 19. 
judgment. Chapter 2, verse 2. One more now. Chapter 1, verse 18. 1, 18, the third word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now look up from your Bible. If you ever start to teach Romans, we just heard about Jacob's ladder. Right? Climbing higher, higher, higher. We'll discover about that when we get to Romans 6, 7, and 8. But we're not there yet. We're still down in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Here is a precipitous chasm. On the one hand, the righteousness of God. On the other hand, the unrighteousness of men. And between them, sin. 3.19. 3.9. Guilt. 3.19. Judgment. Chapter 2, verse 2. And wrath. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now that is the human problem. Perhaps I should point out at once that practically every human, quote, religion, end of quote, is a human effort in one way or another to span that chasm that separates man from God, whether it's Confucianism or Taoism or Buddhism or Shintoism or Zoroastrianism, whether it's human philosophy or psychology, some human effort to span that chasm which separates man from his creator. Man has tried through the centuries to bridge that gulf through his own efforts. And the answer is, no human quote, religion, end of quote, or philosophy of any kind can possibly span that chasm. I will now give you two reasons why that's true. Number one, no human religion can bear the weight of sin. Sin is an offense against Almighty God. No humanly conceived and fabricated bridge can possibly bear the weight of sin. That's item one. Item two. The trouble with all human efforts to span this chasm and to get to heaven is this. That the human bridge originates on the wrong side of the chasm. It starts out in the mind of man. It is a human idea an imagination, a fabrication of the human mind. It originates on the wrong side. I hope that there's nobody in this congregation tonight who's trying to get to heaven across that chasm by your own character or your own religion or your own determination or your own resolution in every single instance you feel. Because your bridge, number one, will not bear the weight of sin. Number two, it originates on the wrong side of the chasm. Now this is what excited Dr. Martin Luther. He thought when he started to teach Romans 
that you could get to heaven by your own works of supererogation, your fasts, your pilgrimages, your penances, the sacramental system, hierarchical control, ecclesiastical pronunciamentals, the canon law, and all that. And he discovered in the epistle to the Romans that these things, generally speaking, originate on the wrong side of the chasm. Over against that, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 21. The good news is now going to be taught. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law, that means totally apart from the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, that's the objective genitive, not the subjective genitive, it means faith in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. Now watch very carefully for the word justified. Justified. Watch for it carefully now. Verse 24. Being justified. Underline that word please in verse 24. Verse 26 please right in the middle. Romans 3:26, right in the middle. That he, God, might be just and the justifier, underline please that word justifier, of him which believeth in Jesus. Verse 28, please. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified, underline it again, verse 28, by faith without or apart from the deeds of the law. Will you please turn to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified, mark that again, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you please look up from your Bible? On the one hand, God is 100% righteous. On the other hand, man by nature is under sin. There is a precipitous gulf which separates them. It's the gulf of sin, of guilt. It is the gulf of judgment, of wrath, and ultimately of death. Now, man cannot possibly span that chasm. His bridge will not bear the weight of sin, and it originates on the wrong side. But thanks be to God, and this is the heart of the gospel, that there is a bridge. And this bridge, praise God, originates on God's side, not on man's side. It is the bridge called justification by faith alone, apart from the deeds of the law. If it were not for that, you and I would not be here tonight. God's bridge. Now, I'm going to chat about that. There are many younger people here. You older people, bear with me. 
before I start to teach, I'm just going to start to chat a little about that word justify, justifier, justification. Just going to chat. What does it mean when we read in the early chapters of Romans that God is willing to justify certain people when the appropriate conditions are met? God justifies it. What is that? What does the word mean? God justifies people who meet the conditions. He welcomes them as righteous. He accepts them as righteous. He declares them judicially, forensically to be righteous. He receives them as righteous in his sight if if, if what? One of the best illustrations I know of justification is this, and I have discovered that teenagers can understand this easily. It's the illustration of clothing. Clothing. Watch. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteousnesses are as what? Are as filthy rags. Isaiah doesn't say all our sins. All our righteousnesses in the eyes of a righteous God, so far as earning salvation is concerned, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I'm using an illustration of clothing now to describe justification. May I tell you two things about filthy rags? My hometown is Shanghai, China. In Chinese, that's pronounced Zonghe. That's two words that means above the sea, 16 miles up the Huangpu River from the Yellow Sea, so it's called Shanghai. I have seen thousands upon thousands of beggars. I am an authority on the subject of filthy rags. I am now going to tell you two things about filthy rags. Number one, they are filthy. That is being taped. So I have to explain that I just held my nose. And secondly, filthy rags do not cover, they do not cover the flesh. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now watch Revelation chapter 3 verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. I hope that everybody is going to understand the theology that's now coming up. I hope you can listen to this and understand it. It is just as though on the cross of Calvary the Lord Jesus Christ who is himself our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 it is just as though he were weaving a spotless robe of righteousness. There was the warp and there was the woof. The warp was his active obedience unto death. He kept the law of his father 100%. And the woof was his passive obedience from the Latin word patior, I suffer, the outpouring of his precious blood as a sacrifice to satisfy 
divine justice and to reconcile us to God, there on the cross of Calvary, it is just as though he were weaving a spotless robe of righteousness. The moment the guilty, hell-deserving sinner looks away to Calvary and from the depths of his soul receives Jesus Christ as his Savior, at once that spotless robe of righteousness is put to his account, it is imputed to him, so that now when Almighty God, who is 100% righteous, looks upon him, he beholds him, and the believer is now accepted as righteous in the Father's sight. He is pronounced righteous, he is received as righteous, he is welcomed as righteous, he is declared judicially to be righteous, I am justified, I am just as if I had never sinned. Praise the Lord. Oh, I think we should sing the hallelujah chorus. I entered into that assurance over 40 years ago. This bridge does not originate on man's side, it originates on God's side, it is God's provision. You cannot earn it. God has provided it. But a few moments ago, I was talking about a bridge. Therefore, using the phraseology of the early chapters of Romans, I must now analyze that bridge so that anybody who's willing to listen can understand and some may even teach. Once more now, here is your precipitous chasm, the righteousness of God, the unrighteousness of man, and here is your bridge, justification by faith alone, apart from the deeds of the law, originating on God's side. I now want to discuss that bridge. I have seven things I want to teach about that bridge. And if you're taking notes, now's the time to take them. I'll warn you. It took me at least 20 years to figure out what I'm now going to give you. By the way, by the way, if anybody here tonight ever took a correspondence course from the Moody Bible Institute on Romans, don't think that what I'm saying is plagiarizing. No, no, no. I wrote that course not a very good course. How do I know? Because I wrote it. That's right. If it sounds familiar, how many of you ever heard of Dr. DeHaan when he celebrated his 25th anniversary? I must tell you this. When he celebrated his 25th anniversary on the radio, he called me up, telephone. We've been friends for years. He called me by my first name and said, will you do me a favor? I said, what's a favor? Would you mind broadcasting for me for one month? I said, Doctor, I said to him, uh, well, perhaps I better send you a certain message which I have recently been delivering. It's a pretty tough theological message. It's been going all over the place. I don't want to get your program into trouble. I said, I'm a pretty tough right-winger when it comes to theology. So he said, send it on. I sent it. 
Within a few days, he called back, praise the Lord. Did I believe the Bible the same way you do? Will you do it? So I did. And if this sounds a bit familiar, don't be surprised. This went from coast to coast. These early chapters of Romans, I've had them practice. I know what I'm doing. All right. Seven things about that bridge. You know, sometimes when you can't sleep, you count sheep. I saw a cartoon of some sheep who couldn't sleep. They were counting people. But some of us, some of us, when we can't sleep at night, when we can't sleep at night, instead of counting sheep, we are preparing outline studies of the Word of God to encourage other people. That's why I have the whole Bible come, not because I couldn't sleep, but that's part of it. So here comes one now, so here we go. Concerning this bridge that spans the chasm of sin, of guilt, of judgment, of wrath, and of death, here we go about the bridge. Number one, the architect of this bridge. Whose bridge is it? Answer, Almighty God is the architect. Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 24. Watch it carefully now. I'm on the subject, the architect of this bridge. 324. Being justified freely by his grace. Will you kindly look up from your Bible? We are justified, we are pronounced righteous, we are received as righteous, we are declared to be righteous, we are welcomed as righteous freely by his grace. God is the architect. Grace means undeserved favor. This is free. Is there anybody here tonight whose name is Dorothy? Where are you, Dorothy? Yes, I see your hand. Welcome. Dorothy, that's a beautiful word. I am now going to teach you a Greek adverb, freely. It sounds like Dorothy. But the adverb is Dorian. We have justified Dorian, freely. Dorothy means a gift of God. Anybody here named Theodore? Where are you, Theodore? Ted, could you come tonight? Anybody? It's the same word. If you happen to be Hebrew, if your name's Nathaniel, it's the same thing. But that has Hebrew. That has nothing to do with us. All I'm saying right now is justification is something which is free. Why? Because God is the architect. We are justified. Thank you, Lord. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless. Look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or... Isn't that wonderful? I had a Bible class. I had a Bible class every Tuesday night for a year in Phoenix, Arizona. God really blessed that. I'm not an evangelist. I'm a Bible teacher. And to begin with, we met in the home, then in the public school. But while we were still in the home... I used to give an invitation after every class. And many found Christ as their Savior. I remember one night, a young man, about 35, raised his hand while we were praying. I dealt with him afterwards. 
This fellow was beautifully saved. The tears ran streaming. He had never heard in his life that salvation is something that God offers. He didn't know this. And he beautifully received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I said to him, Is this the first time you ever heard the gospel? Yeah. I said, What have you been doing recently? Why, he said, for the last three years, I've been a Mormon missionary to Germany. Never heard it. Never heard it. You ask the average American about salvation, and almost invariably, he'll try to tell you about a bridge that he concocts. He's making it up. It's originating on the wrong side. Over against that, the architect of this bridge is God. Listen, listen carefully. Pastor, I've got to make a confession. I have taught this for 40 years, but about five years ago, up at Scroon Lake, while I was teaching Romans, it all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, dawned on me what I was reciting. From the 8th chapter, you wait till we get to the 8th chapter, but from the 8th chapter, watch. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. I almost fell off the platform. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let me look this congregation over. Anybody here with a sour-looking face? <laughs> Praise the Lord! Hey, You know, I think once in a while, right in the middle of a message, somebody, just once in a while, you know, once in a while, not too often, you know, quietly say, quietly say, Praise the Lord! Hmm? I remember coming into my home when I lived in Altadena, California once. I thought nobody was in the house. I walked in the front door, the roof was leaking, the water fell on my head. Without, I didn't know anybody was in the house. I just said right out, praise the Lord. Voice from upstairs. What are you praising the Lord for? The water's leaking. I said, I'm praising the Lord, not because the water's leaking, but because in spite of the fact that the water's leaking, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This epistle to the Romans is dynamite. And incidentally, incidentally, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, the Greek word for power is dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. Did you know that? This is what happened in Luther's soul. Blasted item one, the architect of this bridge is God. I am now ready for item two. Item two. Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 24, right at the end. Same verse, right at the end. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The early part of the verse says, being justified freely by his grace, the architect. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Glance up from your Bible. Here's the goal. Pardon me for smiling, but memories keep flooding. Years ago, I was teaching this in Oakland, California. And I came to my second point before I had a good outline. I was just on my second point. 
And I was telling all these people, this bridge is called justification by faith alone. Item one, the architect. Finished. I came to the second point. The foundation, don't write it down, don't write it down. The foundation of the bridge. And I went on for a few minutes. Well, the service was over. A very nice gentleman came up to me and said, Dr. Woodbridge, do you mind if I make a constructive a criticism of what you said tonight? I said, no, I welcome all the time. Well, he said, uh, uh, bridges don't have foundations. I said, how do you know? He said, I'm a bridge builder. <laughs> so I listened. I said, all right, what does a bridge have? He said, it has an anchor. Beautiful. Architect starts with A. Anchor starts with A. I can remember it. See, you wait till we come to the other point. A, A, A. You don't count sheep. You think. See? All right. The architect of this bridge is Almighty God. Now the anchor upon which it rests, take a good look at the end of verse 24, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the anchor. This is why the Apostle Paul says, for example, when he writes to the Corinthian assembly, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Does everybody here know what that word redemption means? I am now going to tell you. R-E in Latin means again or back. Emo, E-M-O in Latin means I buy, B-U-Y. T-I-O is a feminine ending of a noun and the only reason there's a D in it is so that you can say it. Otherwise you might swallow your tonsils. That's right. And it comes out in English redemption of buying back you and I as sinners when the marketplace of sin with the whiplash of the law we were in bondage and Jesus Christ came into this world made the payment price he bought us back to God the payment price was his precious blood that's the reason Simon Peter writes or as much as you know that you were redeemed, etc. Not with other things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is the anchor upon which this bridge rests. Thank God for that. Do you mind if I give you just a little word of caution? I'm just in the mood to do it tonight. I'm feeling great. I think I'm going to give my beloved, I see many friends I have known for years here. Do you mind if I just chat with you for a minute? There are some interesting versions of the New Testament coming out now, and you've got to keep your eyes open. You've got to keep them wide open. There's a brand new version just off the press, and I have recently been told that over 7 million copies have been sold and I suppose most of them in fundamental churches. A lady in Oregon sent me one of these. She wrote me a letter. Dear Dr. Woodbridge, please examine this. I want to give it to all my friends. Is it good or is it bad? I read it. And uh, not all of it, but I went through it. And I discovered that every time that word redemption occurred, you know what they did? They threw it out. 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 
every time they could possibly throw the word the blood out 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 now I can almost guarantee that some of you beloved friends of mine through the years have purchased copies of this shall I tell you what the name is good news for modern man see you're looking at your neighbor why because you bought it that's right you bought it in fact you distributed to all your friends do you know what I would do if I were you when I go home I would take a good look at Ephesians 1 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood that's a technical word redemption you cannot throw it out in whom we have Ephesians 1 7 and if your copy of the Bible doesn't say that do you know what I would do if I were you I would sit down and I would write the American Bible Society a letter of protest why did you throw that beautiful technical theological doctrinal word out Jesus Christ is still my Redeemer Amen huh? do you mind my telling you that I don't hesitate I say that incidentally from coast to coast sometimes not quite as gently as I'm saying it now watch out the anchor upon which this thing rests is a redemption that is in Christ Jesus that is item two item one the architect item two the anchor here comes number three number three I think that tonight I'll probably give you about four of these items to be continued in our next and the Lord willing by tomorrow night we'll be climbing up Jacob's ladder what do I say that because the first five chapters of Romans teach us how a hell-deserving sinner who by nature is unrighteous can go to heaven then when you get to chapter 6 then you are ready spiritually on that basis to climb see chapter 6 chapter 7 you are climbing in the chapter 8 but we still happen to be in the first five chapters I am now ready for my third point number one the architect of this bridge item two the anchor upon which it rests the redemption which is in Christ Jesus item three this third one is very important whenever you get on any bridge you want to be sure that it won't crash right in other words you want a guarantee but that starts with the letter G out I want one that starts with the letter A okay. in other words I want an assurance there it is an assurance that this bridge will not crash and in Romans we've got it you want to see it will you please turn to chapter 4 right near the end verse 24 right in the middle of verse 24 Romans 4 24 if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead now Romans 4 25 watch every word this is a Bible class this is a Bible conference we're having 4 25 watch the words now speaking of Jesus Christ who was delivered for our offenses that means he died for our sins and was raised again why for our what 
justification. Did you ever hear a sermon on that? I never heard a sermon on that in my life. Christ was delivered for our offenses. That means he died for our sins and was raised again. Why? For our justification. I have been a pastor for 16 years, three different churches. If I were a pastor all over again, I think that I would preach on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead at least once every three months or bring it into my sermon. What does Paul mean by this? Christ was delivered for our offenses. I understand that. He died for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I understand that. But what does this mean? He was raised again for our justification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is something like the rock of Gibraltar of our Christian faith. I'll show you what I mean. The fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was raised from the dead is God the Father's guarantee of the identity of Jesus as his Son. Romans 1.4 Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection ex necron out from among the dead. This is God the Father's guarantee upon the identity of his Son. Not only that, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead is God the Father's guarantee of our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Thank God, thank God for that. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is more than the divine guarantee of the identity of Jesus Christ, the divine guarantee that you and I as believers will be raised. It's more than all that. Christ was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. What does that mean? That means that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the Father's guarantee that the work of Christ upon the cross for our sins was perfect, it was efficacious, it was final, it was conclusive, it was definitive, it was acceptable in the eyes of a righteous God. We, Christ was raised again for our justification, our assurance that this bridge will never, never collapse is the fact that God the Father raised Jesus Christ the Son from the dead. Amen. Have you ever heard a sermon on that? I may have told you this story before. Perhaps I have. But I love to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Amen. He lives. I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of Hades and of death. Revelation 1.18, Christ lives. Easy to say that. To believe it, praise the Lord. You know, we Americans, I may have told you this, 
are a very interesting people. A great deal of Doreen's life and my life been spent on other continents. One interesting thing about the United States is that in our colleges and universities they have what is euphemistically called, quote, religious emphasis week, end of quote. Very strange title from my point of view, something like love your wife week. But it does have certain advantages because as a result of that, some of us get onto these campuses. See? Now, in view of the fact that this is being taped, I must be a little bit careful. But there is a school in Southern California, that's all I'll say about it, which had not so very long ago a quote, a religious emphasis week, end of quote. It wanted to be very broad-minded, so it had three speakers. I was told that one of the speakers was a Roman priest, another was a representative of liberal Protestant theology, it didn't believe the Bible, and I was number three, me. I got in as an avis rara, that's Latin, it means a rare bird. <laughs> Somebody, somebody who has been to school all over the world indefinitely and still is old-fashioned enough to believe the Bible. See, I did not go under the auspices of the school. I went under the auspices of the Holy Spirit of God and I utilized their facilities. Amen. You know what happened? You know what happened? A senior. They told me the dean was back there. The dean, you know, big notebook, big pencil, big notes. What will this babbler say? And this senior stood up, this girl. We are very glad to have Dr. Woodbridge here today. He will now speak to us on fundamentalism. <laughs> First time I knew my subject. <laughs> so I turned to her and I said, do you mind if I ask you a modest question? How long do I have? Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. I looked over that congregation. I saw him poised with his pencil back there. All right, if I have only 15 minutes, I will not use the shotgun method. I'll use the rifle method. <laughs> Take notes. No shotgun, right? He's got it. <laughs> we who are old-fashioned enough to believe the Bible, we cleave tenaciously. I thought I might as well use a few, use a few long words. We cleave tenaciously to the old-fashioned doctrine that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was raised from the dead in the body in which he suffered. He was really taking notes. And I saw that these students were interested. How would a man have the nerve to say that? I saw they were interested. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in some respects is the rock of Gibraltar of our faith. And some of us go to Germany to study, in France to study, other places, in order that we can learn the false views about the resurrection and refute them. Now I saw they were really interested. So I said, all right, I'll single out one false view right now, and I'll refute it. 
But you students will have to sit up straight and think. They were sitting up straight and thinking. Now you have to listen. This is called the cheat view or the theft view or the fraud, F-R-A-U-D view, concerning our Lord's resurrection from the dead. It states this, that while the Roman soldiers slept, the disciples of Jesus came and stole his body. Then it was commonly reported that he was raised from the dead. This is the theft view. I shall now refute it. Either those Roman soldiers were awake or they were asleep. Have you got it? You got it, sir? They were either awake or they were asleep. Think. If the Roman soldiers had been awake, nobody could have stolen the body. Are you with me? Right. If the Roman soldiers had been asleep, subdivision A and subdivision B, if the Roman soldiers had been asleep, subdivision A, how did they know that the disciples stole the body? Subdivision B, if the Roman soldiers had been asleep, can you imagine what happened the next morning early? They report before their captain. They salute three times. Sire, early this morning, while we were asleep on our watch, <laughs> and the captain turns to them and says, Do my ears deceive me? Now they salute four times. Sire, early this morning, comma, while we were asleep on our my ears deceive me? Sire, we haven't come to the point. On the contrary, you've passed the point. Unless you appeal to the tribunal of the emperor. How could it be commonly reported? I've often wondered how that dean took notes on this. That's his problem. You know, how long, you know how long it took me to do that? I had 15 minutes. That took about six minutes. Six. That's the type of thing I mean. We who believe the Word of God believe in the empirical historicity. Don't worry, they didn't understand it either. <laughs> we believe in the actual factuality, the reality of our Lord's resurrection from the dead. I still had about eight minutes. And what does this prove? This proved that Jesus Christ is very God of very God, light of light. He is our authority. He is a greater authority even than the president of this university or any of your faculty. We listen to what he says. I still had six minutes. Amen. Right down the line. The gospel I knew I would never be invited back, but I couldn't have cared less. Opportunity to preach the word. Who is the architect of this bridge? Never forget this, folks. Never forget this. This is God's plan of salvation. It has nothing to do with a minority report or a majority report or what century we happen to be in. It is God that justifieth. Number two, the anchor is the redemption which is in Christ Jesus and our assurance. 
Christ was raised again for our justification. Aren't you glad you're saved? Anybody want to go to Australia? (laughs) Let's all unite in prayer. But let me just say this before I do. Your assignment before tomorrow night, keep reading, keep reading. The plot begins to unfold. Let's all unite in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we worship thee tonight. We praise thy holy name. How good thou hast been to us. For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, if there's anyone here tonight who didn't know this, who thought that the way to heaven is simply to try to be good and try and then fail and try and fail, May the Holy Spirit of God deal with him. May he understand that Jesus Christ came into this world because he loved us, because we had lost our way. All we like sheep had gone astray. We lost our way. And he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now having given his life for the sheep, he's gathering them to his bosom. Oh, God forbid that anybody should go out into the night here tonight without knowing and loving the shepherd of their souls. While all of our heads are bowed, I'll simply say this. If there's anyone here tonight who's not 100% sure that you're standing on that bridge, that you're on your way to heaven, I, for one, would love to speak to you after this service, and so would our beloved pastor. Now, Father, wilt thou dismiss us with thy blessing, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We are dismissed.